You're listening to a podcast by the Center for Action and Contemplation. To learn more, visit cac.org. Greetings. Uh, I'm Jim Finley. And I'm Kirsten Oates. Welcome to Turning to the Mystics. Welcome, everyone, to another dialogue with Jim Finley on uh, St. John of the Cross, our current mystic on Turning to the Mystics. Welcome, Jim. Thank you. Good to be back with you. Good to be with you, very, very much. Well, I listened to session two. It's beautiful, and uh, there are a lot of wonderful quotes from John of the Cross in the in the um, Lexio you offered, and people will be able to read those in the show notes. Um, I've, I've copied a few of them myself. I wanted to start by asking you about what seems to be arising as the meta theme of what St. John of the Cross is trying to teach us. And what I'm hearing is that he's trying to help us understand the infinite love of God as a direct experience. Yes. Yes, that's a good place to start. Mm-hmm. So, so one of his themes in all of this is that love produces likeness and equality, that we become like what we love. And so he's saying that since our faith teaches us that God is love, in fact, God is infinite love, when we experience something of God's infinite love for us, and that love enters into our heart. It evokes within us a love for the infinite love. And it's our love for the infinite love that produces the likeness or equality between ourself and God in love. And also produces an awareness of what it is that's hindering that transformation into that equality, which is the mystical state, really, in love. So that's really the meta Thing and he's really, that's his theme underneath it all, is understanding okay. the, the, the nature of love mm. and uh, infinite union with infinite love that's infinitely in love with us and because God is love. And, it, and, it's, and that transforms us into love. It transforms us into love because since God is love, who creates us in the image and likeness of love, then love is our origin, love is our nature, and love is our sustaining ground. So really, it's actualizing our God-given love nature, our God-given godly nature, and being healed from all that hinders that actualization from occurring. So this love is transforming us into itself. We're we're being drawn out beyond all that hinders that transformation, which is a foretaste of heaven, really, which is eternal life. That that's really helpful. <clears throat> Thank you for clarifying that. Um, and then Jim, John of the Cross uses finite experiences to point us to the infinite love. Is that is that how he goes about it? That's part of what you were reflecting on in this last session. Yes, yes. That uh, there's different ways of approaching it. So let's say. Uh, for example, let's say we start with the finite experience. Well, I will use the example that one of the uses in nature, the midst of nature. And so he says um, that in the beginning, uh, the, the, the beauty of nature can be seductive through possessiveness of heart. 
like we try to own it or have it. He said, but when, say, we spend a day alone in the mountains, um, we, 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 he said, we, the way he puts it, we realize the beloved has passed this way in haste. That is, we start seeing tracings of divinity in the contours of the mountains. So in the beginning of the concreteness of the mountains, or this is anything, the ocean, the smell of a rose, the, the darkness of the night, a child's laughter, the beloved's face, in the concreteness we get intimations of the love that's incarnating itself in that intimately realized experience. Mm. And then he says, as the purification deepens through love, we realize, he says, in the walking in the mountains, my beloved is the mountain. The, the mm. God's the infinity of the mountains, where the mountains are bodying forth the love of God. And so everything is seen as sacred, everything is seen as divine, in its concreteness, and it's nothingness without God. It's God's manifested presence. And it was there all along, but I couldn't see it. Mm. Because my love was too myopic, it was too closed in to, uh, for what I can have in my finite ego. But as I learned to pass beyond the frontiers of myself through love, this starts shining through. So, is that does that mean that that final "I am the mountain" is is that the experience of infinite love that Saint John of the Cross is inviting us to? Well, um, yes, it, it is. But say this: the God is the mountains, and simultaneously and infinitely more besides. Let's see which is the mystery of God. So God, God, God's generosity is infinite. So God infinitely gives himself, infinitely gives herself as the night, the mountains, the darkness, whatever. And that infinite generosity of giving, which we receive, God in that infinite giving remains infinitely more besides, see, mm. which is what it means to be God. And so in a way it means while we're still on earth, it's really foreshadowings of paradise, see, even though why we're still here. We're in this love that permeates everything about being here in some unexplainable way. It can become habitual. Mm. And so is, uh, and John of the Cross is inviting us to experience the fullness of love in the finite world, but that the, the infusion of the infinite is, is part of that experience, is that? The... Yes, yes. But I think it's like this, um, there's this Ornstein, there's this uh, phenomenological, this psychologist, he, he talks about the mandala, like gazing at a sacred object. So I say here the mandala is the mountain or the rose or the face of the beloved or the child or whatever it is. He said the thing is, the longer you gaze at it, the less obvious it gets. So in the gazing upon it, with, and, and gazing is a sustained attentiveness, like a loving gaze. And so through the love in the gaze, the gaze passes beyond the externals of the thing, into the divinity of the thing. Mm. It's revealing itself to us as precious, see? Mm. something intimately realized. Yeah. So for those of us on the path, on this path, drawn to this path, becoming more present at that finite level, um, introducing a loving gaze, this contemplative gaze into the way we look at, I'm looking at a tree outside my window or the, I know you've got the ocean outside of your window. Uh, is that is that part of the way we can orient? It, 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 it is. I, here's, here's my sense of it. 
let's say when we hear talk like this, we, in some sense, we recognize what John the Cross is talking about. Because we've all had moments, like you say, you know, the tree, the stone, the flower, the child, we've all had a moment, of an awe moment, mm. uh, the, the setting sun. We've all had those little moments. What John the Cross is saying, is, and in, that's, in those moments, we're a momentary mystic. In, the, in that moment, we're momentarily in the intimate immediacy of the divinity of myself and all things. See, I, 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 it's like this, unexplainably so. What John the Cross is saying, but notice how these realizations, which come to all of us in different ways, they tend to be fleeting. They tend to be fleeting because although they're very deep, they're also very delicate and subtle. Mm. And therefore, the customary preoccupations start to move in on us again. You know, the agenda at hand, the project, what I'm in the midst of, and we, off we go again. Yeah. So what he's saying is, if what we're looking for is a certain stirring of a kind of a longing in our heart to abide in the depths so fleetingly glimpsed, see that I, that I that I it's like with this nuptial this nuptial imagery of marital love as a symbol for this, that well, that a person who begins to fall deeply in love with someone, they're not content with simply occasionally running in running into the person, out on the road, see? they long to abide, like this, and so the thing is how. If we could start to notice a longing for the abiding, which is the path, see? he's offering trustworthy guidance and how that longing might be actualized. See? Instead of these little fleeting touches, 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 we might listen to the longing for the abiding union, which is an echo of God's infinite longing for us to abide. It's a foretaste of heaven. So how do we, how does that, how is that longing fulfilled? See, that's his teaching. See, what is the process by which we're healed from what hinders us from abiding in what's so fleetingly glimpsed? And then um, the, what, what John of the Cross is helping us with in terms of how we might stabilize in, in that there's some passive components and there's some active components. And in this section, we're actually looking at things we can do, effort we can take. Yeah. When we started out, uh, the very first talk on the three signs of noticing the onset of the night in meditation, we see there that it's, it it's essentially begins first as passive because God achieves it in us. While we're, we're sitting there reflecting and meditating, and God achieves it in us by a strange sense of being powerless to gratify our sense of God's presence in prayer. Because God's removing our ability to be gratified at the emotional level, because it's a finite way of experiencing God's infinite presence. And so that might clear the way for an infinite gratification of infinite union beyond the finite. So now what he's talking about is how to take that insight and extend it throughout every moment of the day. See, not just when I'm at prayer, but how can I actively cooperate with this ever so subtle uh, love, like tugging at my heart, drawing me into itself. What are the habits that I can cultivate to stabilize in it? And that's what he's, a contemplative spiritual direction 
um, for this. Yeah. Fabulous. So just to help us understand then what he's offering, the guidance he's offering, Jim, can you help me unpack um, the way St. John of the Cross talks about the soul, the senses, and the appetites? Yes. I, I notice in terms of the soul where he talks about it as a clean slate and uh yeah, yeah so I was, I was a little confused yeah, by, let's look at that, that. yeah that would yeah. be very good okay <clears throat> um let's say that what he's let's say the soul is the interiority of ourself is our soul we might say the soul is uh, um, uh, a god-given godly nature created by god in the image and likeness of god as the qualities of consciousness itself, presence itself. And in this consciousness of our soul, the surrounding world, um, there, there, there are the senses. And the, the senses are our capacity to be aware of and take into ourselves sensory experience, things that we can, mm -hmm. through the five senses, things we can touch, smell, taste, feel, and so on. Mm -hmm. And certain things that we s experience through our senses, senses derives pleasure. And therefore we seek to be, at the, so the appetites are the five senses fueled with the desire for gratification. Mm. That's what they are. So what he's talking about then are inordinate appetites. So at lower levels, we know inordinate appetites. You might say addiction is an inordinate appetite. We might say there's ways that we can desperately cling to try to have something and hold on to it, the pleasure that, you know, that. There's all that to be, to be dealt with. But what he's saying is this. Since the soul is a tabula rasa, that is, the soul is a blank tablet, Popular also. Everything that comes into the soul, everything we internalize is our ideas, our convictions, our understanding, our thoughts, our feeling. It all comes to the senses. It all comes to the senses. And since all the senses are finite, and since everything the senses perceive are finite, and since the pleasure that's given to us and the things that the senses perceive is finite, Therefore, uh, we cannot at the same time hold on to that level of gratification as our base of operation and clear the way for this infinite gratification mm. of this infinite love like this. And so we have to learn to let go of being gratified at that level by seeing that there's something about it that's infinitely less than what I'm looking for. It doesn't mean that it's not good. It doesn't mean the pleasure there isn't real. God created the pleasure. God created the thing. But because it's finite, we've been touched by a love, an infinite love, in which we have to like liberate ourselves or let go of our attachment to that finite gratification to clear the way for an infinite gratification. And it's a challenge because we're attached to our finite gratification. Mm -hmm. See, that's the thing. There's a, there's a, yeah. it's myopic. I mean, it's cla claustrophobic with respect to the great awakening. Yes. But we, 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 we're dearly fond of it. You know what I mean? We, <laughs> we're just dearly fond of it. So this is a very subtle thing he's talking about here. Help me understand how, how does God then impact the soul? Does, can the soul 
if we make way in the way you're describing, is that is that God finds God's way to our soul, or God's already infused in the soul, or? Well, yes, we we would say first in a general sense, um, in this in this Christian context here, that God awakens the soul through faith, and uh, so through faith we hear God loves us through the power of the Spirit who dwells in our hearts. We're empowered to know that God does love us, and then we're called to follow Christ by. I, so this faith in is this kind of obscure certainty in our heart, as in a mirror darkly, that God's one with us and with us through faith. And we also know that the measure of this faith is love. And that's how God comes into our heart. Now, John of the Cross is saying all that's true. But what's also true is if with the eyes of faith, I'm sitting quietly, and I, and I turn to see um, a rose on the table. I can somehow see in the presence of the rose something of the presence of God. And the beauty of the rose gratifies me. So I, I see, yes, the rose gratifies me. I smell the rose, it gratifies me. But I also know shining through that gratification is a call to an infinite gratification of the God who's lovingly creating the rose right at that moment and creating me smelling the rose right at that moment. So I begin to see that everything, the concreteness of things starts shining through with a presence that calls me to acknowledge the gratification in the senses. But then I see that everything in the senses becomes kind of translucent to this infinite love shining through everything. And so I'm called to, to go beyond that finite gratification that I can have. Yes. To enter more deeply into the love that's shining through it. That's the, that's the subtlety of it, I think. Yes. Uh, but the experience of that infinite connection to God is, is through the senses. It comes it's, to, it's, this, that's right. Yeah. That's right. He's going to see later in book two is also through the mind, through faith. But right now he's starting the first phases. So it's called a night because it's a purgation, because of the, we're so attached to our customary finite gratification of the finite, to be lured beyond it, see? But all love is like this. We'll talk about as we keep going here. Any deep love, whether it's marriage for the child or for a classroom of students or for a community or the, the poet or the artist, all love, the deeper the love gets, see? It, it, it asks of us nothing less than everything. Out of love, we have to lean into it. We have to devote ourselves to it. And so we have to, there's a certain sacrifice at a certain level. That's asceticism. We're denied at a certain level to be gratified at a deeper level. And he's trying to, that's, what's, that's the artistry of the deepening of love. Yes. And it's challenging because uh, the, the vehicle... Um, for the finite gratification and the infinite gratification, it's the same vehicle, so you can't just that's, that's right. kind of uh, that's turn right. in a whole different direction. That's it's a subtle shift within the construct, the same construct. That's right, and this is a, a critical chapter here in these first 11, is chapter 11, and he kind of breaks this down bit by bit. And, um, and so what he's saying is, is that it's, so the hindrance to God is not the thing, because God creates it. It's not the senses, God creates it. It's not the pleasure, God creates it. See, all that's created by God. 
Nor is it the initial gratification that initially comes through the beauty of it, the pleasure of it. That's created by God. What he's talking about is a kind of a secondary reflection or secondary awareness that, yes, it is so lovely, but it echoes with an infinite love. See? And therefore, if I, if I close myself off and function at that level only, see, it's not enough for me. You made our hearts for thee, O Lord, and our hearts are restless until they rest in thee. And St. Augustine says, so we, we realize then at a certain level we hold an abeyance functioning at the level of immediate gratification to keep the heart open for the infinite gratification that subtly is shining through it. And through that sustained activity of keeping an eye on our heart that way, the, the longing to abide in the infinite union grows stronger and stronger. And is it also true that we can't sustain gratification at that first level? At the, at the, it, it, it's fleeting, like the, the beginning where we started with this is, is that we might have that initial gratification or that moment, but it's fleeting. So even, even wanting to maintain at that level is challenging. I, I think that this is my sense of it. That's a good point, really. Let's say, just as there's, uh, let's say there's that immediate sense of the presence of God shining through the gratification the rose, the flower, the child, and it's fleeting. That is fleeting. We can't hold on to it. But the more we actively refrain from the clinging to function at that level where we can have it, that the, the presence of God shining through the sensory starts becoming an underlying habitual state of the way we see everything. Mm. It starts becoming a, uh, see, and that's, that's the, the light that starts shining through the night. See? That instead of becoming something fleeting, there's a kind of a subtle underlying sensitivity to the depth or the divinity of the concreteness of things. As sacraments of God, or the, the sound of water, the darkness of the night, whatever. That's, that's where he's heading, that's where he's taking. Turning to the mystics will continue in a moment. Well, so let's talk about some of the the actions that, that he's encouraging us to take on the path. So part of it is to understand the habits within ourselves that hinder what you're describing, that openness to that, that kind of shut down the lens that's open to the infinite is that is that right jim let's say first of all that we're, we're sitting with john of the cross and there's some sense that he the things he's saying speak to us you know, like we, we resonate with what he's saying we sense the beauty of it or the depth of it and um, but because it's so subtle uh, we have to keep just sitting with it. The more we sit with it, the clearer it gets. So, um, what I want to reflect on here is in chapter 11, where he kind of gravitates towards kind of these clarifications. So, I'd like to share to me what some of the things that helped me. I shared in the talk that I gave on this experience that I had on, on, on a plane 
yes. uh, on John of the Cross. On yes, I was going to ask you about that, actually. Yeah. 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 On um, a gratification of the senses, detachment. Mm -hmm. And uh, the, the attendant set down the coffee, you know, and my coffee was cold. So I ding, 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 like. <laughs> and it didn't have cream and sugar. It had no cream and sugar, yes. It was called no cream and sugar. It was not to my liking. And uh, and I kept looking over my shoulder. You can't get any service around here. Back detachment from sensory gratification. Mm -hmm. So, and then I consciously saw what I was doing. Mm -hmm. Which is what? What would you describe? Uh, I, I was, a, I, I, that I was, uh, uh, I was embarrassed because I was attached to my image of myself as someone who was detached from sensory gratification. <laughs> you know, just some cold coffee ruined my flight. <laughs> and I was reading chapter 11 of St. John of the Cross. <laughs> and they're expecting me to go give the retreat. I mean, who, who the hell, what's going on around here? <laughs> but I think this is, this is a deeper layer for me, see. The, 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 what happens when we listen to talk like this? The ego is never tires of setting up everything as a goal to reach. Oh, yes. Am I detached yet? Am I detached yet? Am I detached yet? See? So I realized on the plane that I was, I was embarrassed because I became conscious of the fact that I was attached to my image of myself as a detached person. Am I detached yet? Am I detached yet? Mm -hmm. Because if only I could strive and get detached enough, <laughs> then mystical union or bust, you know, I think I could pull this off. <laughs> and so, what I think the deep attachment's about, what this is really all about. See, Jesus says, you know, with God, who can be saved, they say, you know, uh, with, with, with us, as, with you as humans, it's impossible. With God, all things are possible. And what we're really doing is giving up our image of ourself mm. as someone on a path of getting the pegs in the holes and realizing degrees of union, degrees of thing. Because it's, the, it's, it's actually my deep acceptance of my inability to live up to this that opens the way for the irrelevancy of that and realizing God's infinitely in love with me in my inability to do it. And that's mm. the deep detachment. Yeah. It's, the, it's, it's the deep detachment of myself, and in some way the measure of God's love for me is determined by the measure to which I measure up to something. But since the love is measureless, vast and pure in all directions, it doesn't mean we don't need to do our best to overcome hindrances that hurt ourselves and others. It's a moral imperative. But really the great transformation happens in tasting deeply the infinite irrelevance of that in the love that loves us so, in the very deep acceptance of the depths of our poverty, like that. And so, this why he says, a bird held by a slender thread is held just as much a prisoner as one held by a great rope if it won't break the thread. And so what he's really trying to help us get at are what are the subtle things in my heart, the habits that I'm monitoring so carefully, and I'm discouraged that I haven't gotten over them yet haven't gotten mm -hmm. over them yet. Mm -hmm. And that's what he's really trying to get at. See, how do I hand myself over to God infinitely in love with me in the unresolved matters of myself and my fragility, which is the great deliverance, I mm -hmm. think, really. And um, and Jim, were you just, when you talked about the ego, are you suggesting the ego kind of works against us in that? <clears throat> 
journey, that you know, desire? Yeah, my sense of the ego, in terms of the context in which we use it, let's say, basically speaking, the ego is created by God. So God wants us to have a healthy ego, because if our ego isn't healthy, we suffer, and the people we live with suffer. Okay. And so our ego is our self-reflective bodily self in time and space in relationship with others and with the earth. It's, it's, it's me sitting here now in the human experience, you sitting here now, the people listening to this, listening. We're, this is our human experience, is our ego. Okay. From these traditions, to see that the ego is the consciousness in which we're endowed by God to awaken to God's presence, the religious experience. And the ego comes upon within itself what transcends itself, which is religious experience, God, the holiness. And also the ego then, in experiencing that, is to then freely surrender and give itself over to God. See, like that, this ego. So in the nobility, the refinement of the ego is the refinement of that ego sensitivity to the love response, to, do, to freely choose to give ourselves to this love. The wounded ego, not just that it's wounded by the state of over-identification with the finite, which closes off access to the infinity of the finite, but there are also certain subtle habits in the ego. There are often and survival strategies formed in trauma and abandonment and through habits. And they're deeply ingrained in us. You know, they're very deeply ingrained. So John of the Cross is inviting us to very lovingly be attentive to those things, keep handing them over to God, knowing that somehow God's loving acceptance of us is very present in our very inability to get past it, deeply accepted. And so I think there's something very intimate about the sensuality of this, because it touches deep places inside of our body, inside of our emotions, mm. to be infused and sustained by this love, this mm. tender-heartedness. So it sounds like the starting point is more about being open to be to be loved by God, yeah. like to to and to kind of in a circular motion keep coming back to that as the grounding point. So That's right. kind of no, no matter uh, if my efforts fail me or if I notice myself getting um, attached to a path or outcomes or like the, the keeps keep coming back around to God loves me even in in wherever yeah. I'm at. Yes, and that's why John of the Cross says in the prologue to the ascent. Uh, he says, I'm, I'm not going to rely here on reason or science because we need to honor it, but it's not, it's, it's not capable of coming to what we're talking about. He said, I'm going to base everything on Scripture. Mm. And by Scripture, he means primarily for him as Christ. And the very essence of the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ, is what we're talking about right now. Jesus was always approaching people in the midst of an unresolved thing. Mm. acknowledging it, seeing right through it into the person God was infinitely in love with and the, the self that God contemplated in him before the origins of the... Our life is hidden with Christ and God see, before the origins of the universe. And in his gaze, they could see this birthless, deathless love self. Mm. And so experiential salvation is placing our trust in that. Yeah. But easier said than done. 
Yeah. Because we don't easily give up. The ego doesn't easily give up its claim in having the final say in who we are. Uh, Even though its claim is that we're still not worthy enough yet. For the love of God. For the love of God, for the love of myself. Yeah. Because I'm so, because see, if I can bear being finitely loved, I cannot bear being infinitely loved because there's no control in being infinitely loved. Mm. And so it becomes an act of trust. They like very deep trust. And so Joan of the Cross is trying to tell us this is not primarily at the level of concepts or ideas. He's going to look at that in book two on faith, on the, the, the transformation of knowledge. He's saying it starts in something as simple as our bodies and in gratification and understanding what it is that truly gratifies, ultimately speaking, and how can I be released from myopic, uh, one-dimensional gratifications through mm-hmm. God's grace into this infinite gratification is the holiness of my breath, my body, the, my, mm. my touch, my what I touch, and how is everything like that, I think. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, that just hearing you say that makes me want to take a pause and put myself back in my own body because it's it's so easy to get caught up in the the thoughts the ideas and um so just for me right now just to take a breath and feel my feet and feel feel myself in my own body and what's happening in my environment seriously yeah yeah. or let's say this too let's say in, in deep intimate love with someone that kind of mutual handing yourselves over to each other Mm-hmm. deeply seen and deeply seeing in love or let's say in seeing a child a small child and they kind of you're smitten by it mm-hmm. you know mm-hmm. you're smitten by it or in death sitting at the deathbed of your dying mother or father or something there's certain moments that are so physical in this yeah. mystical sense like are somehow our body embodies this love like this and what would it be like to be surrendered over to that the, yeah. How could I be yeah. uh, permeable? Yeah. You know, to this, yeah. To, and so present. Pre- to, yeah, to exa- exactly. Yeah, exa- so exactly. Yeah. So present. Because yeah. I think really <clears throat> these experiences of God. Really, when you always like listening to people describe these moments, they always describe them as a heightened sense of presence. There's a heightened sense of presence in which they themselves become more present. Mm-hmm. And this oneness with this presence, in some way, this kind of wondrous to them. You know, it's yes. almost like a communion in presence. And so, John mm-hmm. of the Cross is saying that the sensuality of that is not an abstraction. You know, it's so much. It's your whole. It's your hands and your face and your beating heart, and your breath. Mm-hmm. It's the concrete immediacy of yourself, incarnating this presence. Like that, it's very. Mysterious thing, really, I think. Mm-hmm. So, Jim, is something that we can do, would, would it be to notice how we treat ourselves and others, that, that sense of where we're loving, where we're not loving, and start to um, gently inquire, like inquire, look into ourselves, what's getting in the way of me being loving the way I want to be or being kind to my own body or being... You, you know, as, as connected and loving as I hope it, to be. Exactly. I do think that. You know, for example, I'll take married love, for example, then I want to take meditation with ourselves. Two people, when they meet, they fall in love, and because they fall in love, they got married. 
And in the marriage, what they discover is that little by little, in all kinds of complicated ways, the, the tone they use with each other, the way they react to each other, the way they withhold intimacy from each other, the way they're reactive with each other, without acknowledging it. Without, and little by little by little, it starts to crumble away. And so they say, look, if we're not careful here, we could lose the whole thing. See? And so how can I calibrate my heart to habituated sensitivity? See? Because it's by committing ourselves together in that. See? And likewise, when we're alone in a room, like sitting in meditation, whatever. See? This is why I say we catch ourselves in the act of perpetuating violence on the part of us that needs to be loved the most. Mm. Namely, the part of us that doesn't meditate well enough yet. The part of this is, it, it's enough to make God sit on a stone somewhere and weep. See? Mm. And it's the essence of the violence in the world is in our heart. So here's the yeah. very place that needs it the most is the place that we offer the, the, or we abandon it by giving up on ourselves. I think I'll go watch television and have some brownies. You know what I mean? I, I, just, <laughs> I can't handle this God stuff. And so, we, yeah. and so what we're trying to do is neither invade nor abandon. See, because that's God, that's Christ. And so yeah. we're keeping an eye over our heart, over our attitudes, because attitudes mm -hmm. lead to actions. And we're trying to habituate these Christ-like attitudes and actions toward ourselves, other people, and really all sentient beings, all animals, the earth, like the holiness of everything. Yeah. So Jim, is there a is there a um, orientation after hearing this talk that we might, after reading John of the Cross, like a, a slight shift in our orientation that we might begin to, to have. I want to answer this. Um, I want to answer this as a therapist, or as say a contemplative spiritual director, where you would be your own therapist, your own director. Okay. So let's say you you come to me and you're you're challenged by this by what you're going through. And also you're feeling the desire to be faithful to this. But at the same time, there's things going on at home, there's things going on at work with your health, who knows? And so you're looking for some kind of guidance of how to stabilize and keep your balance in the reality that you're in the midst of. So let's say uh, that we engage then in a dialogue with each other, which would be the dialogue you'd have with yourself. And so a few things that might come out of the dialogue. <clears throat> One would be this. I think sometimes under stress, just when we need the most to pause, to have a quiet time, it's the harder it's harder to pause. Because we're already late. You know, we hit the floor running. And so one option is an inner act of freedom. To say before I leave tomorrow, I'm gonna to take thirty minutes or 15 minutes, and the only agenda, I'll light a candle or open the scriptures, whatever it is, but I'm going to exercise my freedom see, to give myself over to God. And if I'm driving to work, I can, I can be driving to work stressed, but I can say, you know, my car's a traveling hermitage. In Via, I'm on the road, and God's infinitely love with all these people. See, in Via, we're on the way somewhere like this. And when I get into the parking lot, I can pause for just a minute. Help me to be present here to this. Also, throughout the day, I can take little mini breaks 
through the day. And I can stand up and walk around the room or I can go down a hallway and come back, get a cup of tea and, and taste it when I sip it. I can practice little mini moments of recalibrating my groundedness to being present and managing things as best I can. Likewise, when I get home, so you, we can do things like that. And then on the other hand, the other side of it, we look at the realities of what you're facing. And are there any options that you have to make things a little bit better? Or are there any options in your attitude towards those things? There would be more reality-based, more loving, more kind of uh, like that. And so I would think what we're suggesting here is that we would have that kind of sensitivity with ourself. See, so if we could have John of the Cross as our spiritual director, sit down, pour out our heart. You know, what would he? What would he say? I mean, what would be his tone or his stance towards us? And we're trying to cultivate that towards ourselves, habit like that, and then share it with other people. Yeah, I think it's also good if there's just even one person in your life who in some way does see you this way and increase your gratitude to God for that person in your life. No. So, yeah. One last question. You mentioned in the talk, and you've said it a few times, that, uh, that St. John of the Cross is beautiful, uh, but hard to understand. I can't remember your exact, yeah. exact words, but yeah. challenging yeah, yeah. And, um, and confusing, I think was one of the mm -hmm. words you used. And I was going to ask you how long in your life were you confused by John of the Cross? <laughs> when did it suddenly become clear? Well, I think it was different for me in this sense. Um, mm -hmm. You know, at home there was all this trauma. And uh, I started having these experiences as a child, like God sustaining me in the trauma. And in the ninth grade, I started reading Thomas Merton. And uh, I didn't yet even know about John of the Cross or any of these mystics yet. And so I was living in this cloistered monastery, you know, in complete silence and, and chanting the Psalms and so on. And it was in that silence I began to have these experiences of God's presence in the silence. Mm. So when I would talk with Thomas Merton about these experiences, he started to guide me in reading the mystics. Mm. So by the, I remember the first time I walked out into the woods with John of the Cross and sat down and opened it. See, at one level, it was hard to understand. I could just tell a lot of it went right over me. But because of the silence and because of where I already was, see, I really experienced it like, uh, it was like listening to music or it was like going right to my heart or into my stomach. I just felt, it was, it was like a deeper way to understand what it means to understand. Mm -hmm. That something deep within you recognizes what he's talking about. See? And it matters. Mm -hmm. That matter, and so I, I was fortunate that way. I think that I entered into the relationship with John of the Cross, his deathless presence, yeah. in that way. But I think for because we we are who we are, we approach it as we approach it. Yeah. And so I think for all of us, so regardless of where we are, if we calibrate our heart to a fine enough scale, there is in our stillest moments and with, their ch with the child or the beloved or, or sitting alone, there are certain moments where we, we have intimations of unexplainable nearness. Yeah. And we know that John of the Cross is talking about that. Yeah. And if we go very, very slow and just let it soak in and walk with it, 
little by little, it becomes uh, uh, clearer, not conceptually clearer, but it becomes intuitively or viscerally clearer. It's like a language that bears witness to unexplainable things, and you kind of uh, get acclimated to it over time. You know? Yes. That's what I yeah. think. I, yeah. That description was really helpful that you gave, Jim, about when you first read the book. It's like the, the visceral sensation of awe, which is where, where we started this conversation, is that those moments. And, but you gave a nice description of how that felt in your body, and that's, yeah. that's kind of the sensation it, of it. Yeah, that's why I encourage, as we go through these mystics together, um, as always as we go through a mystic, you find that a certain mystic, for some reason, speaks to you more directly than another. Yeah. And uh, it's like finding a contemplative spiritual director that you find one that aligns himself, herself, with you. Mm -hmm. But I do think they all have this quality about them. Mm -hmm. and this, I'll, I'll end on this note. I was thinking of Jesus recently this way. When I, in the monastery, I learned to read the Gospels like this. Like Jesus is the mystic teacher. And um, the way I put it is that it became clear to me as I read the Gospels like this is that everything that Jesus says is like falling off a cliff and that it's a bottomless abyss that will never 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 get to the bottom of anything he says because it's mm -hmm. the bottomless abyss of God's presence welling up voicing itself in the world see mm -hmm. and likewise everything Jesus says is like a wall of sure granite impassable when we approach it from the opinions of our ego. Mm. And so to be with Jesus, to read everything that Jesus says and does, and this is what John of the Cross does. John of the Cross saw Christ, he saw this as a rendezvous with the mystic Christ. See, this way is this true meaning of the essence of incarnate infinity in the world and the human heart. And uh, so I, th I think it's, it's like that, I think. Yeah, yeah. yeah. beautiful. And so one encouragement we might give to people is when they listen to the to the Lexio, your Lexio sessions, when they go into the meditation is to really just uh, take a moment to ground themselves in their own body and their own breath and to to just be present yeah. to themselves. Yeah, I, would, I would say this. Time. Let's yeah. say first they listen to the whole thing first, like half hour, mm -hmm. it's a talk. Just let it mm -hmm. wash over them. And then go back and replay it and just take one thing. Mm-hmm that got to you. See, like one, like just one phrase that got with you. Turn it off and sit with that. Yeah. And ask God for the grace to experientially enter into the beauty of that, mm. like that. And that's what's always worked for me, like aphorisms, like one, it's the one-liners that get to you. Yes. And like poetry and blank verse, you just take that one thing. Mm -hmm. And then if you want to, what helps me is write that out and fold it up and keep it in your pocket over your heart. Oh, see? Yeah. And as you go through the day, touch it. See? Mm -hmm. And little by little, this language gets inside of you. Do you know yes. what I mean? Like the cadences of the teacher's voice start echoing in your own voice and they kind of draw you into this thing. That's what's worked for me. That helps. That's beautiful. <laughs> I've got one of your one-liners on my desk. I'm just going to show it to you. But I look, I read this every day, which says, a love, sh a love shines bright that conquers a traumatized world. Yeah. Well, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I love that one. Yeah, that's, that's lovely. That's true. It's true. <laughs> <laughs> Someone very clever said that, Jim. <laughs> yeah. Wow. Okay. okay. Well, thank you for your time today. Yeah. Good. Wonderful. Thank you. Yeah, it's great.
Thank you for listening to this episode of Turning to the Mystics, a podcast created by the Center for Action and Contemplation. We're planning to do episodes that answer your questions. So if you have a question, please email us at podcasts at cac.org or send us a voicemail at cac.org forward slash voicemails. All of this information can be found in the show notes. We'll see you again soon. Do you feel called to walk a more contemplative path? The Center for Action and Contemplation is an educational nonprofit supporting the journey of inner transformation. Our programs and resources will help grow your consciousness, deepen your prayer practice, and strengthen your compassionate engagement with the world. Learn more about our resources, such as publications, podcasts, email series, and events at www.cac.org.